0: The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not contain or constitute and should not be interpreted as any form of medical advice or opinion. You should always seek the advice of your healthcare provider about any questions or concerns that you may have. Welcome back to the Unfiltered podcast. On this show, we interview mental health professionals about abusive, toxic, and healthy relationships. It is our hope that these interviews help you cultivate safe relationships.
1: What we come to find out is that it's anger turned towards oneself. And so when someone is struggling to feel angry at someone else, they turn it towards themselves. Right. And so then when we turn the anger towards ourselves, it becomes that much harder to feel empowered Um, to get out of a relationship that is abusive
0: Hello everyone, my name is Juliana Akin I'm the host of the Unfiltered podcast and a co-founder of Unfiltered Today I'm interviewing Hello Dear Dustin She's a licensed clinical social worker and her extensive experience in the field allows her to offer clients a deeper understanding of themselves and their problems, practical solutions that last, and the skills to master their own life. Today, we are talking about healing. In this episode, we will provide you with actionable strategies to manage depression, rebuild self esteem, break the cycle of self devaluation, and effectively grieve as a crucial part of the healing process. Let's get right into it. Hi, hello, dear. Thank you for joining me today. It's nice to have you in this podcast episode.
1: Thank you. Um, Hi, Juliana.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great. So let's dive into the questions right away. We have many today. And the first question is, uh, what are five to 10 things that a survivor of abuse could do to manage the depression that abuse creates?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, there's a number of things that individuals can do to manage depression. I think one thing that the first thing that comes to mind is um, when an individual, a victim that is in a relationship and they've been abused, there's a lot of emotions that come within that. You know, So there's the, the anger towards the person, there's possible anger. There's definitely anger towards the, the themselves, um, whether someone is aware of it or not. There's the resentment, the sadness um disappointment betrayal despair all of these emotions right and so it's important for someone to one start to identify what those emotions are because then when an individual can identify the different emotions that um, they're experiencing from being in a in an abusive relationship then they can then at that time um start working to manage the depression um, and I say all that to say is that if someone um, feels anger towards their abuser right that's that's likely so that's that's I mean I think that's a, a natural normal thing to have but then there's also the anger that a victim can experience toward them towards themselves um, because of potential guilt shame embarrassment, for even being in a relationship with an abuser or believing the abuser or for um, the length of time that they were with the abuser. And so there's anger that a person can have towards themselves. Um, There's resentment that they can have towards themselves. right? So for being in this relationship, I think a lot of what happens in these discussions is um, there's a lot of discussion around how a person, how a victim might feel towards the abuser, but it's as valid as to how the victim themselves feel that they were even in this relationship. Right. Um, and so, and so after they're able to identify all of these different emotions, um, and then hopefully, you know, with a person, they can, they'll see a therapist. Um, so that's, well, let me back up. That's a way to manage depression, right. Is, um, to, gain support, right? Um, And so in my mind, I'm automatically thinking a therapist. And so with the therapist, they can start to identify the emotions. um, And then after they're able to identify the emotions, understand what those emotions are, right? And so that's where it's like, okay, you have this emotion that's anger towards this person. What does this anger mean? You're angry at the person for taking advantage of you. And are you angry at yourself? And how do you cope with that? How do you deal with that, right? How do you unpack that? Um, And then all the other emotions that I also mentioned. Um, Thirdly, an individual support, even outside of a therapist, but finding support with their loved ones, right? So it's like um, going back to the friendships that you had, um, family members, a community of um, uh, like a, a survival group of victims, right? So it's finding a community, finding a support system um, to essentially validate you and and support you through this journey of emotions that are going to come up for an individual that has um, experienced abuse in a relationship. Um, And then I also would mention another way to manage the depression is also talking about the experience. Most victims, Feel like they can't talk to someone. They they won't be understood, or they might feel shame or embarrassed to talk about their experience. Um, and there's so much to unpack in that, right? It's like, well, what, if you're feeling embarrassed, if you're feeling shame, what are the reasons that you're feeling embarrassed? You're feeling shame, right? And and, and seeking validation and understanding in that, um, you know. And so in the shame and the embarrassment, you have those those people, that crowd of people that say like, oh why would you stay in a relationship that someone was abusing you, right? And it's like, well, clearly you don't understand what happened, you know? So uh, I, I'm sure an abuser, there's a cycle that happens, right? It's like, it's the abuse. And then after the abuse, it's the honeymoon period. It's the, I'm sorry, I'll change, I'll do this. And of course, for an individual who, um, who is in a relationship and, and you feel that you love this person, you want to believe that they will change, right? And that's where like the the, The timeline, the time frame um, continues. You know, you get hopeful. You think, okay, maybe this is the time that this person will change, or maybe this is the time that this person will change. Um, And then at some point, an individual may realize, like, this person won't change, right? Um, And so it's like learning how to mute those people out, those people who don't understand the experience an individual that um, has been abused. And then uh, again, going back to what I said sharing their experience. There is a sense of um, power that is obtained from an individual when you share your experience. And the reason why there's this power that is obtained is because when you share it, you're letting it go. Right? When When an individual is in an abused relationship and they're dealing with these emotions, the shame, the embarrassment, the despair, and someone um holds on to that experience and they and i mean let me back up a bit people's business is their business they don't have to share it with the world but finding a circle finding a tribe that they can um share these experiences with and so what happens when an individual shares their experience they're no longer confined by that experience right it's like that shame it's like you let it go and it's just like i I'm not going to let this this experience hold me back, no longer confined. And so there's a power in that. There's a sense of confidence that a person gains the more that they share. And then the more that they share, um, they can start to hear stories from other people that were abused, right? And it's just like, oh shoot, then people really are able to identify like, oh my God, I wasn't in this alone. I didn't go through this. I'm not crazy, I'm not dumb, you know? Um, <clears throat> And so then that validation that an individual receives is empowering, it's emboldening. Um, and then, then when an individual shares their story, when they feel ready to share their story, there's also those un- other individuals that are being abused that get to hear it and, and get to feel seen and get to feel heard, right? And then perhaps that person that is sharing their story can save someone's life. You know, and then who knows, maybe there could be a connection like, oh, my God, I heard you when you were sharing your story um, and it helped me to like get out of my relationship. You know, it can be like this very beautiful process that can happen when an individual relinquishes the power of the shame and finds the power in not being confined in an experience where someone violated them right it's not that person's fault it's the abuser something is wrong with the abuser and and they took advantage of um of the victim and so these are i, I mean i know i said a lot but these are like different ways that an individual can learn how to manage depression because in the depression um so i'll back up a bit i am a psychoanalyst and so in psychoanalysis we look at things a bit deeper on a deeper lens and when we look at, when we think of depression, we look at it as that is anger turned towards oneself, right? And so in the world of mental health, people um, define depression as these different symptoms, hopelessness, uh, worthlessness, being suicidal, loneliness, all these things, right? And it's just like, okay, this person has all these symptoms um, and this is what categorizes someone to be or diagnosed as being depressed but we want to go a little bit further and understand what is the depression and usually um what we come to find out is that it's anger turned towards oneself and so when someone is struggling to feel angry at someone else they turn it towards themselves right and then so then when we turn the anger towards ourselves it becomes that much harder um, to feel empowered, um, to get out of a relationship that is abusive, right? So it's just like if someone is abused in, in an abusive relationship, and then there's one side of it where you're just like, oh my god, I love this person, they're amazing, they're great, but there's this one side of them that's this, that's that. It, it's going to become very hard to be angry at that person that you feel that you see their potential, right? And so then. Unconsciously, this doesn't happen consciously. This, you know, no one just sits here and says, like, I'm angry at myself, I'm gonna get depressed, you know. It it just it's this very unconscious thing that happens where in this entire process that happens, um, the anger turns towards themselves. And that's really what the depression is. And so again, um in managing it, it's it's finding the support, right? What therapists, the community, friends, family, um, a support group. Um, it's sharing the story. It's identifying the emotions, talking through the emotions, feeling these emotions. These are different ways that someone can manage depression when um, they have been a victim of domestic violence.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Like you said, you gave a lot of lot information. So. I I have some follow-up questions. Let me start start <laughs> yeah. with them. Like uh I think it was very interesting that you said like what depression really is, it's anger towards oneself, and it mm-hmm. made me think that anger, at least when I think about the word anger and the feeling of anger, it's like pretty intense and aggressive thing, but then often when I think about depression, it might look like very passive. Like mm-hmm. you don't have energy to do anything. You don't want to get up. So I think there mm-hmm. is a like nice, uh, like weird kind of, uh, like the anger f- feeling is very, you know, uh, like I said, aggressive, but then the depression mm-hmm. passive. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's interesting. Like why yeah.
1: and how? Well, you know, with the, so if, let me use this example, right? Imagine a car, just a regular car. We know that the car is heavy. It's powerful. It can kill you. It's this heavy thing, right? And 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 we know how violent a car can be. You know, someone is 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 uh, speeding at like ninety miles per hour. We know the impact of the damage that it can do, right? Let's say that's anger. Mm. Now, now try to lift that car up by yourself. There's absolutely no way. It's heavy. It's it's extremely heavy, right? And so that's the same thing with anger and depression, anger, when we see it happening outwardly, it can be this very vicious and loud and and, um, dramatic thing that happens. But then when we don't express it, and it turns inward, it makes us feel heavy. Mm -hmm. It makes us feel like, I can't carry this. You can't carry a car by yourself. There's absolutely no way you can carry a car by yourself. That's the depression. The depression, the, the anger that is supposed to just like, get it out in a healthy way (laughs) you know it when we're not expressing it it makes us feel heavy because now that 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 pressure of that emotion is weighing us down we're holding it down we're so tired we're sleepy we don't want to eat it's weighing us down
0: Mm, yeah thank you for that it's uh Mm -hmm. you know eye-opening and yeah great great um is it called analogy or something. Yeah. Okay. uh, Then, then you also like talked a lot about the, uh, I mean, you said one, you mentioned many, like, mm, painful emotions and feelings that one might have. And one was, one of them was like shame. And if we think about what shame is, it's like you have this sense that something is inherently wrong in you, and like I googled and uh like the like uh upper dictionary definition of shame is mm-hmm. a highly, highly unpleasant self conscious emotion arising from the sense of there being something dishonorable and mm. immodest in one's own conduct or circumstances. So then when you said that how important it is to tell your story and talk about it is because then you are exposing the shame that might be tied to your story. But then yeah. you see the reaction of others, which is yes. not going to anymore. It's not reinforcing your feeling of shame, which is that there is something right. inherently wrong with you because others are like seeing you, hearing you and they are not turning you down. They are not like saying like, yeah, there is something wrong with you. So yeah. that's why like, I believe that when it, co- especially when it comes to shame and healing this shame is that you need kind of, you almost like need others so that you can get the evidence that, hey, there is not anything wrong, inherently wrong in me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mm-hmm. think that was very good, good point that you brought up.
1: Yeah.
0: And and then you, in the very beginning, you said that like, oh, it was one of the first steps that how to identify these emotions and feelings. And you said like, oh, yeah, like, uh like th- therapy with the therapist, you can start to work with, like how to identify this. So if you get a client, how do you actually do that? A client comes to you and how do you practice in practice start to identify these things? Do you give them a list of emotions, emotion <laughs> words? And then they're like, oh, yeah, I think that word is like somehow popping up. And that's that's my feeling. Or how-, how in practice you do that?
1: Yeah. So believe it or not, most adults don't know what emotion that they're feeling. They know they're feeling something, but then to identify it at that moment, it's hard. Yeah. Um. because no one, no one is talking, you know, no one's having the language or going out to dinner to say like, I am feeling despair right now. You know, <laughs> I am feeling shameful right now. No one is doing that, you know? So it's a matter of like, well, I know what I'm feeling, but how do I identify what I'm feeling? And so um, in therapy, it's, it's a lot of like reflection and examples and talking through it. And then I, I, I can identify it with the client. Right, like they can say like, oh, I'm going through this and that and that, and then if when I'm hearing it, it sounds like shame. I'll reflect that back to them and say like, that sounds like shame. Mm-hmm. How does that how does how does that resonate with you? You know, and they can agree or not. And then if they agree, they're just like, yeah, that is what it is. Then we can talk a little bit more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if they if they're saying like, no, I don't think that's what it is. I think it's this. You know now it's it's they're able to kind of pinpoint like no it's not that but I think it's this all right let's talk about it let's try Mm -hmm. to figure it out you know Um, it's not me um, to tell someone how they feel because the you know feeling is something um, subjective right. Mm -hmm. And so you, you as the person—not you, Junior—but you know the person—they know what they're feeling, um, and it's a matter of like, all right, let's let's kind of put our thinking caps together and and really start to identify what is that thing, right? I I I know me from my expertise, um, what it might look like, right? From from the different clients that I have, and also myself as a human being, it's like I know how it might look like, and so when someone is describing their experience, it'll start to come up, where it's just like. That sounds like shame, you know. That sounds like guilt. That sounds like this, and then we were able to really um, talk a little bit more. But in my expertise, um, and I think most therapists, you know, there is a reflection that we do when we reflect back to our clients as to what they're describing, because Mm -hmm. it's it's you know the to identify what it is. It's hard because that language this type of conversation isn't happening in our day-to-day lives. We're not going to work to say like, hey, supervisor, you made me feel that you know, you Mm. embarrassed me, you did this, you know, we're not necessarily um, doing that. And so in the space of therapy, um, I am, and I'm sure my colleagues were able to kind of, with the trainings that we have received, reflect back to individuals what we think they're experiencing, and then that conversation continues.
0: Mm, Yeah. this is a little bit off-topic question, mm-hmm. but like, is it is it hard to reflect on someone, and is it exhausting? Uh,
1: exhausting with what do you mean?
0: Like you said that you are here talking to the client, and you are kind of reflecting back to them, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. in order to, so, for them to figure out like what is it that they are feeling, I'm asking, mm-hmm. is it difficult for you as a therapist and as a like you know as a person, is it difficult uh-huh. and is it like exhausting like does it take a lot of energy to do that mm. yeah.
1: yes <laughs> you know i mean there is i think i and i can speak for my i'll speak for myself i can't speak for my fellow colleagues that are therapists mm. out there um but i think for me um with the training that i have received right so when i'm in session with clients i'm thinking in a very intellectual way like what's happening mm. you know but then. I'm also, I'm a very spiritual person. And so I'm also, I'm holding space for individuals, right? So it's not just like this disconnect, which is like, you're just talking and just sharing what you need to do. And I'm just like, mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. bye. Um, but for me, it's a very spiritual connection where um, I try to, it's not even try, but it's it's this, I, I get in tune with the person that is in front of me, um, and that one that takes time—that's me getting to know the person, um, me listening, um, me clearing my heart, you know, like all of my chakras, like really being aligned, um, so that I can, in this magical, mystical, invisible way, feel them, right, and and really hold this space for them, um, and so working my intellectual mind, you know, and, and then at the same time, working this emotional empathic mind and spirit, um, it it can get exhausting, you know, where it's just like, all right, I, this weekend, I don't feel like talking to anybody. I need (laughs) I need time to recharge because I've been holding space for this amount of humans during this week, you know, and, and then in addition to other things that I might do, um, so it can get exhausting, and and uh, again for other people who, um, other colleagues, they can identify it very different. But this work, um, it really takes a, a beautiful person, a beautiful spirit to really do this work and really to be impactful, um, because I believe it goes beyond the intellect. It it's this human connection that happens, um, and it's you know it's it's a relationship. You know it's a it's a matter of like I imagine you have like. Ten boyfriends, you know, or ten girlfriends. It's like, oh, (laughs) this is this is a lot. How do I how do I hold space for all these people? This is draining, Um, you know. But it's it's really um, holding that emotional space, but then at the same time, intellectually, really trying to understand what's happening for the person. And so, yes, it can be exhausting. Long story short, I'm sorry it took forever. It it can it can be exhausting, but quite frankly. Um, i am thankful um and i am blessed that i have my spirit has been chosen to do this work because i know that my spirit is able to handle um holding space for individuals right and so uh, as much as it, it it can be mentally exhausting um i know how to take care of myself i know how to practice self-care to be recharged to still be there for people and so i am thankful and blessed that my spirit has been chosen to do this work as well and, and still carry that space for individuals when they need it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds amazing. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Yeah, and this all made me think mm, like we have been talking about how it's important to start to I, I like before before my this um you know, a little bit off topic question, but we talked about how to identify the feelings and emotions, and then you shared how you do it in practice in in therapy. Do you think it's effective for effective for someone to find a way to do that kind of dialogue dialogue uh, with themselves, either through, I don't know, um, like recording while they speak and trying to figure out how they are feeling or through journaling or mm. through other, you know, I don't know, doing art and then writing about it or like uh, how do you see do you think it requires kind of another human, another person as a mirror to you? And yeah, any thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. I think um, everyone has different mediums uh, to heal and to reflect on. Um, and so I think if someone is a journaler or they, they need to record themselves or they need to paint, they need to do these things, I think it's important to stay, stay true to yourself, stay true to your culture and, you know, how you have learned to cope with emotions if it's in a healthy way. Um, I think uh, in everything, it's beneficial to always have a teacher, right? Um, A teacher in a sense, um, someone who may have a bit more insight or a, a different perspective that can also add into that, mm. right? And so, um, and it may not just be therapy. I know, like here in the states, we talk about therapy, therapy, therapy. You know, um, but that's not the only way of of healing. It's also in different cultures. There's shamans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's, I mean, we can go down the line, but there's different individuals that are placed in positions that that are have been called to do this work that aren't necessarily called therapists mm-hmm. um, that can still provide healing. And that's also um, being true to one's culture. But still, if someone is a journaler, someone is a singer, someone is all these things, bring it in, like yeah. add it in. You know, that's that's an additional thing to your toolbox. You know, it's just like, um, like okay, yeah, I know how to do eggs. So I'm going to cook eggs every day. I'm going to cook eggs every day and I'm going to eat eggs every day, you know? And then it's just like, you meet a chef. You, you think you're a chef because you're like, oh, snap, this, these eggs, I can do eggs, Benedict, I can do scrambled eggs, I can, I can do everything in eggs, you know, it's just like, I am a chef, I got this down packed. And then you meet a chef and you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> there's more to this, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just like, you're not gonna lose sight on how you know how to cook eggs. Maybe that was a bad example, but you get it. Yeah. You know, you're not gonna lose sight as to how you know how to cook eggs. But now that you have this chef, you know how to cook a whole bunch of different things, right? Mm-hmm. The, the chef is teaching you um, the different ways of cooking. So it's the same thing with healing. It's like um, if you're a journaler, you, could, you, you are a writer, a singer, you do what you need to do. But then I think it's in order to grow, we always have to place ourselves in in places where someone knows more than us or or has a bit more experience. I don't wanna say know more than us because it becomes this very power dynamic that can happen um, in, in the language with, that I'm using right now. But when we're able to place ourselves in, in places where other people have a bit more experience, it widens our awareness, right? So if I'm journaling all day, every day, I can only really write what I, what I know, you know? what from my perspective, my lens. Um, but then if I add someone who has a bit more experience, now my, my awareness is widened. So it's I think it's beneficial um, to be in a place where you can be with someone that has a bit more experience or expertise um, in the path of healing. But it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist. Um, but in the States, that's what we call it here, that's what it is. But in other places, it's called something different, right? Um, but I think in therapy, someone who's a therapist, there's training. There's a, there's We're learning the science behind how to be there for a person. Um, and then I think, uh, well, again, my own personal opinion, I think there's, in addition to learning the science, there has to be some type of human spiritual connection that a person has to kind of, uphold to really do this work in an amazing way
0: yeah okay thank you so much for answering the the first question i think uh we can move on to the second one which is a little bit a little bit um you know similar in a way that it has it asks what are five to ten steps someone could take to rebuild their self-esteem after experiencing abuse um
1: um so I think in the first question, I kind of probably, like all those things that an individual can do, support, identifying, speaking up, um, those things can um, help someone to increase their self-esteem because this, you know, the self-esteem um, decreases or gets lost uh, when they start losing belief in themselves. And in the cycle of abuse, there's a lot of psychological manipulation that can happen intentionally Directly and indirectly, right? It's like the person can directly try to manipulate you and psychologically cause abuse, but then there's also that indirect that cycle of like, I'm hopeful this person's gonna change. They don't change. They they abuse you. They go through this. They go back to the honeymoon stage. It's great. Oh my god, no, it's not. You know, just that right there, going through that can um, really have an impact on someone's self esteem because it's just like, well, damn, what what am I doing wrong or. um why can't I get out of this? There's so many questions that, that can come up for a person. Mm-hmm. And so um, to manage and increase someone's self-esteem, uh, it's it's honestly, it, it comes from outside validation because most times you need to remember who you are. You know, like you, you need to remember like, it's shit, you're good, you're, you know, you're the prize, you're great, you're amazing, you're this beautiful human being. Um, and so that comes from outside validation and, and and in a sense, because it reminds you of this, or, or, and it can reflect you of who you are. Um, I think pampering oneself, you know, self care, taking care of oneself. Um, I think that might be sim- something simple as just grooming. Right? It's like getting a haircut, getting nails done, getting a pedicure, buying clothes. Um, Whatever, it could be coloring one's hair. It could be all these things, but these different things that you can actually visually see where it's like a change, it's like it becomes this transformation, you know, and that can increase someone's self-esteem. Um, again, a loving support system. A loving support system will pour into a person in different ways that they may not even know that they need. Um, I would say... Also reminding themselves that they are not to blame, they're you know they're not the reason, they're not the one to be blamed for being in an abusive relationship, and so I think that the the idea of that, that reality of that, um, can really empower or embolden someone to really realize um, or for it to um, resonate with a person that it wasn't their fault. Mm. You know and and in realizing that it's like okay it's not my fault how do i move on from this um and that in a sense when when someone can step out of that that can increase someone's self-esteem um but there's just there's so many ways on how that can happen um and it really is unique to that individual you know so for someone else it could just be like they're going to go out and party and then they and then people start flirting with them you know that can increase someone's self-esteem you know or um someone going out shopping or spending time with friends it's 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 very unique to a person um and and again that's why i'm just like the community can add into that
0: mm-hmm. yeah thank you thank you for those ideas i've heard and what is also my personal favorite when it comes to building self-esteem is like mm-hmm that you set reasonable and like really emphasizing the word reasonable goals for yourself and then you can see how you achieve them and that yeah. you don't take too much at a time and the way I said emphasizing the reasonable because this can backfire if you set too high goals that are unreasonable yeah. and you set them like, okay, I have 20 goals for this month. And it's like, you can't really your focus is like shattered, and you then end up not, you know, reaching any of them. And then you're like, okay, yeah, it's, again, reinforced that I am not capable of doing something. But if you take a, like, a, a, if your approach to setting goals is like, uh, it's, mm, you know, wise, then yeah, that can, I, I think, is a very, like, a really great tool to build self esteem.
1: Yeah, yeah. I agree. It, it, because, you know, this process, it takes time. Mm. It, it, it definitely takes time. Um, it's not something that um, someone can, you know, get over in a few months or in a year. The, all of this takes time. And so in the time, in the journey, in the process, the self-esteem will start to build itself back up.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good point. People kind of have to understand that. Yeah, yeah it takes time. Yeah, you're, <laughs> like just because you've got a haircut, it's like, yeah, of course, it's like probably like it, you know, it can build your self esteem. But if you're like, okay, so I just need to get a haircut and everything is fine, it probably, I, I wish it could be that easy, but like. Yeah, I
1: wish, <laughs> I wish. But there's real trauma that happened and, and with real trauma, real healing has to work, has to happen.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um, then we have a question that why is having good self-esteem so important for living a fulfilling life?
1: Oh, um, you know, if if you yourself feel like I'm great, I'm good at what I do. And someone comes in and they're just like, Oh my God, that was terrible. You're going to look at them like they're crazy. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I know that I'm good. I'm great. You know, um, and so it's yeah, self esteem, great, great self esteem, healthy, positive self esteem, and you know, and we don't want to borderline and go into narcissism, um, but you know, uh, but at the same time, scientifically, we all need a healthy level of narcissism. Um, it gets unhealthy when now it, it pours back into other people and it's this negative thing. But um, yeah, it's it is, I I think the the answer is in the question. It's important. There's no. And if buts about it, because um, it, it becomes harder for someone to feel wavered, you know, in in their when they feel grounded and they know who they are, um, <clears throat> or in the work that they're doing, or the work that they know that they can do. You know, it's like if yeah, imagine someone telling Jay Z like, "Yeah, you're," or Beyonce like, "Oh yeah, Beyonce, you're terrible, you're ugly." What? She's gonna <laughs> laugh at you. Like, what are you talking about? First of all, she's laughing at people in her songs. She already said it, so you know. <laughs> Um, and so it's just like, what are you talking about? You something is wrong with you if you think that if you could come to Beyonce and so say like, oh yeah, Beyonce, you're terrible. It's it's a sense of um there's a level of audacity that an individual that has to, that they have to have um, to really know that they have a specific and unique power, purpose that is just for them just for them, you know? And then with that level of understanding, that's it, the world is yours. It's important for someone to identify that, you know? Because it's like, I know my power and my unique purpose, that is for me. The thoughts and the feelings that I experience, that is for me, that is my journey, that is my growth. No one can, um, say that they had the same exact experience that I've had. How? We, we, we don't even, we might not even feel the same, you know? Um, and so when someone starts to realize that their unique journey is literally just for them, um, and if they can, like, overcome the trials and tribulations that come with life, um, and see the power in that, or just find their greatness, that's it. The world is yours. It's, it's, you, you need, uh, healthy self-esteem to continue in this world there's a level of audacity and a healthy level of narcissism narcissism that an individual needs Mm
0: i agree thank you then we have it is common for those uh, it is common for those experiencing abuse to develop a habit of devaluing and invalidating Mm. themselves what are five to ten five to ten things that they can do to break this habit
1: yeah um so you know of course as a therapist i'm going to be biased and say in therapy (laughs) you know um not to say that someone can't do the work by themselves or with someone else but um i'll speak from my lens um in in therapy an individual can start to identify because so let me back up a bit no one starts to devalue themselves out of nowhere you know like no one is birthed out of the womb and at one month, two months, they're like, I'm devalued. <laughs> you know, it's like that doesn't happen. And when you're when a baby is born, it's all about them. You know, it's it's and the baby knows that I'm crying, I know I'm going to get attention because this person, this human in front of me, is going to come and attend to me. You know, and so as we grow up, there's different Things that we experience, there's different messaging that we receive. Whether it's in the movies, whether it's in in music, whether it's with our friends in school, the the grocery store, wherever, there's different things that we see and we observe. And there's a message in it that starts to that can devalue a person. You know, um, it's a I, because I'm a person of color, I use this example. It's like growing up, and there wasn't much. Um, television that had people of color right so it's like you had there was a bunch of people who were Caucasian you know and just didn't share the same or there we weren't able to identify with people that looked like us or that looked like me rather if I keep it on myself um, and so imagine what that does to a person you know imagine what what does that do to a child when they're just like okay every time that I look on this TV or every time that I go watch movies, I don't see someone that looks like me. I guess something might be wrong, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's like these different messaging that happens indirectly that, again, indirectly tells someone that they're they're worthless, they're devalued. And so in therapy, um, it it allows the space to kind of debunk that and kind of peel all of these things away um, and start to see like, no, you you're not. Not, you're not valuable. The world around you tried to tell you that you're not valuable, but you are valuable. You you were given breath. How can you not be valuable? You know. Um, and so it, it's really, or, or it, it can happen in therapy. It definitely will happen in therapy, but it can also happen in healthy relationships where these healthy conversations can occur. You know, when someone has a healthy relation, uh, a healthy conversation, um, these discussions can come up. Um, but really, it's it's a matter of debunking um, the world that tends to devalue when people, marginalized people, women, women of uh, people of color, LGBTQ, right? Um, and so it's it's having this discussion and talking about it, um, and then it, when we're able to debunk and unpeel these layers that have these myths, um, then an individual can start to see how they are valuable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I'm thinking about someone who might have done this devaluing a long time, let's say they Mm -hmm. have abusive parents. So it's it has started kind of from the messages that this person have started from the childhood and as children, we might not question them, like we're like, okay, yeah, they're my parents, they know, or whatever is going on. Because I feel like someone even might a little bit question that do they even have this habit of devaluing and invalidating mm. themselves so what are the signs that I might actually have this habit
1: um, I think as humans we all have it you know I think it's it's um, something as simple as you know imagine you're going to the gym and you're trying to do a pull-up and you're like oh, I can't do it I suck mm. you just devalued yourself uh, yeah. right mm. just something as simple as that like you you're telling yourself like I can't do it I suck so therefore you're not going to do it because you can't, you know? So then now you devalue yourself. And so then when you look at other people that can do it, it's like this, now you're, now you're kind of perpetuating that narrative. Like, oh my God, they can do it because they're this, or they can do it because they, that, you know? And it's just like, well, but did you try, you know? And, and how often did you try? Mm -hmm. Um, And so the devaluing language is so embedded um, in, in, in society that it, it, it's like at the slick of the tongue, someone can just quickly say something that's devaluing of themselves. And in a conversation, someone might not even pick up on that and they could just keep going. You know, when I'm in sessions with my clients um, and they're talking and they're sharing their experience, and if they say something that's devaluing, I I I stopped it right there. Like, wait, what? Like, what was that? Like, you just devalued yourself in this, in the same breath that you're saying you could do this, you just said you can't do this. That's a contradiction, mm. you know? Um, and so it's, it's it it really is important to surround yourself with individuals um, that can reflect back um, the unhealthy parts that we have towards ourselves in um, ways that we can reframe it um, and do better because it's mm. the the devaluing language. It's it again. It's so embedded in culture in every culture that it's you know people just you don't even raise your eyebrow to it
0: yeah yeah and yeah that that's a good point and i feel like it's very hard to find those people around you that are able to pick up and be like hey like why did you say that because I yeah think, i don't yeah they're really hard to find yeah really hard yeah okay uh then we have the question about a question about grief so Why is Mm. grieving an important part of healing? What should survivors of abuse keep in mind about grieving? What are some of the most healthy ways that a survivor could support their grieving process?
1: Mm. Uh, What I would say is grief is a part of life, right? Um, However, which way we might look at it, um, if we just simply look at life and death. We know that we are going to be given life and we know for sure we will experience death. We will experience the death of other uh, loved ones, of other people. And then we also will experience our own death. Like li- life and death exists and, and there's grief in death. Um, and and then when we go a bit further, when we're talking about this and like um, and uh, an abusive uh, domestic violent relationship, the grief that is in that, um, I, I, I I wanna say something that might be controversial, but it's not if you really just, if you understand it, but there is beauty in grief, right? There's when, when someone allows themselves to grieve and feel the emotions that come up with that, whether whatever that they're grieving, whether it's the relationship or death or loss or a, a thought, whatever it might be, um, There is a sense of beauty that happens on the other side of it because there's some type of lesson in grief. You know, it's like because if you're grieving, you lost something, Um, and so then if you're if you allow yourself to reflect back and say like, oh my god, I can't believe I did this wrong. You know, I messed up the relationship. Let's say it's a relationship. Like, oh my god, I messed up the relationship. The relationship doesn't exist. You know, you're gonna grieve the relationship, but then. In that grieving, and you're reflecting back if someone is doing it in a healthy way, you can then gain insight as to okay, I think I did this wrong. I don't want to do this in another relationship. Right, uh, in an abusive relationship, the victim, the grief can be, I can't believe I went through this. How did, how can I do this to myself? All this stuff, right? And in the reflection, in the journey, and it's, it's, it is a journey, and, it, and it's a very nasty, turmoil journey. Um, but in that journey, with support, um, an individual can, at some point, gain insight as to, okay, that's not healthy. That's insight that's something beautiful you know like you went through this thing and now and it's, it's something as simple but it's like you went through this thing you went through this um, abusive relationship and you realize one you probably realize things about yourself where it's just like oh, okay maybe I was a bit insecure maybe you know I let people do this or whatever the situation is but in that grief you you're able to reflect back and, and learn something. Like there's some lesson in the grief that comes from it. And, so, and I in me, I think that's the beauty in grieving is that there's, there's a lesson in it. If someone allows themselves to learn, if they allow themselves to grieve. Um, and so with the victim, um, th- that experience, the domestic violence experience is terrible. Um, but then if they, again, they surround themselves with the support system, community, all this stuff, right? Um, And they allow themselves to one feel the emotions um one you're not confined by your emotions you know if i think in the world when someone gets angry someone there's always that one person that's quick to say like you shouldn't feel that way why shouldn't you what are you talking about we're human why shouldn't someone feel angry why shouldn't someone feel sad and so you know when when we Go through grief in a very healthy way and, I, and i'm saying healthy is really allowing yourself to feel whatever you're feeling you know it's like if you're feeling really sad feel sad if you're feeling really angry feel angry now you know how that feels now you have insight you know mm-hmm. so then now if you know how what anger feels like you now you know um, then you're able to detect um when something can get you angry and what you don't want to experience, right? So it's just like, yeah, I think you're gonna get me upset and I don't wanna go there anymore. So I'm gonna end this conversation right now. You have insight, mm. right? Um, and I'm sorry, I'm giving a lot of examples here, um, but again, there's there's the lesson in grief and it is really healthy for an individual to grieve, to feel the emotions because then you're not confined by these emotions. You're not, um, there. there's, You can find balance in that because when if you're if you're someone that experiences happiness, all the like you're just this optimistic person, and you're just like, oh, I'm happy, I'm great, life is great, and you're in this like la la land, and you have no idea what anger is, and then something someone does something to you, and you fall into that, you probably will fall into depression because you're like, I never experienced this. If someone is totally angry all the time and they're just miserable. You know, then it's just like you're you're gonna continue to be alone because no one wants to experience that. But if you know how to live in both worlds, you can find a balance, right? And then now that becomes realistic, like, okay, it's okay that I'm angry, um, but I know how to get myself out of that, you know, and it's just like I know that I'm happy, but you made me angry. Okay, I'm gonna feel that. Um, so I know I said a lot there, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I think um it's very healthy to to allow someone to allow themselves to grieve because there's a lesson in it. Um, you're not confined by it and you can grow from it because once you, it's, it's like you're shedding, once you let that process go, it's like, okay, now you're on the other side of it.
0: Mm, yeah, that word especially came to my mind when you were talking about lessons that like grow as a person. Like, yeah, that is really, really beautiful. And even if it's a controversial <clears throat> topic, I feel like. Uh, like you said, you mentioned that it might be a controversial way of looking at things. But at the same time, this horrible thing has happened to you, why not try to find something positive out of it? Like it already yeah. happened. It's very unfortunate. And I really wish nobody would uh, like, I really wish wish nobody goes through that. But yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's very unfortunate. But yeah, if we can find something positive out of it, I think we should do that yeah other option is not to so right
1: and and honestly it's the perspective like you can find something positive out of an experience that causes grief it's it's up to the person it's perspective Mm -hmm. if you if someone looks at it and they want to stay angry and they want to just stay right there then okay then that's all you're going to see you know Mm -hmm. but if you allow yourself to kind of like peep peek over the mountain and say, like, wait a minute, I think there's something on the other side of this, you know, then you get to see, like, oh, wow, there was more. I've been stuck over here for this long, and it was, like, all this extra land right in front of me, and I didn't know, you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. Great. And uh, because we, in this question, is, like, and you already gave, like, uh, ideas, like, what are some, like, healthy ways to support your craving process? Can you maybe, like, uh, do we, how how can i know that uh i am managing my grief in a healthy way how can i what are signs if someone is managing their grief in unhealthy way
1: Mm. um i think one if you start to see yourself isolating uh, well grief that's that's going to happen there's going to be moments where you want to isolate and be by yourself but where it's just an entire isolation and you don't want to talk or deal or be around anybody, that is a problem, right? Because um, grief um, is this very turmoil, dark place. Um, And as humans, as living organisms, we're not supposed to be there alone, right? Um, If we think of a plant, the roots of the plant, it's in a dark place, it's the soil but it's not there alone the this the the roots has the soil it has the water it has the support around it so that it can flourish into something right so it's just a matter of like if an individual stays in this very dark place um it's going to, it, it can be very hard to come out of it um and so it's it's the support system you know it's okay to say like look i don't want to talk to anybody right now today okay all right you, you don't want to talk to anybody today but i'll check in tomorrow <laughs> you know, yeah. um, see how you're doing. Um, and so it's it's really the surrounding oneself with support. It's also the support system being very in tune with that person, you know, to say like, oh, I haven't heard from this person in like three days. What's going on? You know, checking in, um, that person still communicating. I, what I think what also happens is that when someone is grieving, again it goes back to the communication the shame and all these things people want to isolate and they don't want to share anything they don't want to communicate or uh we live in our heads like oh this person should be doing this and they should be calling me they should know better people if they do better they would do better right but clearly if someone is not doing something they really may not know or, or just not know how to go about it right and so there's also the importance of when someone is If you yourself are grieving, it's still important to communicate because it's a relationship, Mm. you know, Um, and and, and again, some people might disagree with that and say like, oh, well, not everybody knows how to communicate. This is why we need to, okay, you know, my argument with that is that this is why we need to learn how to communicate, you know, we want to do this preventative work. And that's the thing with therapy too is that it's preventative, you know um uh, to learn how to communicate so that if and when we get into these places we we can communicate what we need um and so i I would to answer your question I would say um communicating and really creating support mm, mm,
0: okay, thank you mm-hmm. thank you so much uh Today we had some great questions and great answers, so I want to thank everyone for for listening to this episode, and thank you, Hello Dia, for coming to this episode and answering all these questions and giving such great, practical and informative, informative advice.
1: Yes, thank you, thank you so much for having me, Juliana. It's been a pleasure, and um, I hope that um, what we talked about today and, and what was shared resonates with. Um, the listeners that are listening.
0: If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the episode with your friends and family. Have a wonderful rest of your day and see you in the next episode.